I love it. Matthew 14, going to preach this morning. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, Matthew 14, head there. And uh, it's the segment where Jesus walks on the water. So let's have a little look at that. Matthew 14, beginning at verse 22. Just going to read the whole segment there. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the, to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went on up a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves. Everybody say, buffeted by the waves. Wow. Because the wind was against it. Everybody say, the wind was against them. During the fourth watch of the night, so pretty late, really dark, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. This lake that was buffeting experienced fishermen and they were struggling against the wind. Jesus walks. I like that. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Turbulent waters. Going to talk about that for a bit this morning. Um, as many of you know, and I might have given this little example, but, but it, it, it just works. I'm going to layer it into this message just to help us... Uh, this morning, um, when we used to live in Gibraltar, out of our kitchen window, you could see, well, essentially, we were on the, imagine it, the southern tip of Europe, and out of the kitchen window, you could see Africa. And we were living at the point where the Mediterranean meets the Atlantic. And so you've got the kindly, soft Mediterranean seas meeting the huge swells of the Atlantic and that little space between called the Straits of Gibraltar, a little bit of England on the end of Europe. Won't say any more, but it, it shall always be. Um, uh, it's a, a turbulent cauldron of bubbling waters. Uh, they used to have this little flat boat a uh, flat-bottomed uh, uh, ferry that they got from around the Greek islands. And it used to take people from Gibraltar to Tangier and back. And we go quite a lot. And, of course, when you get out onto that place where the sea meets the ocean and it's bubbling and boiling, a flat-bottomed boat is no good. It would rock like this. Ketchup bottles flying everywhere as you try and eat your full English breakfast. Uh, I remember my mum, you know, puking over the side one time onto the head of some Moroccan that was on a deck below and just looked out at the wrong moment and got an eyeful of the Lord's blessing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. It's, it's turbulent. And in my, in my 
prophetic senses this year, like, God, what's going on? And he, he showed me that picture of kind of looking out from the kitchen window at the turbulent waters where the gentle seas meet the great oceans. And he said, you are at the turbulent change of eras. Two eras meet in this point, And you're in the cauldron of the turbulent waters as you try and get from the kindly past to the swells of the future that you've been praying for. The church has been crying out for revival, for the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We've prayed for things like billion soul harvests. We've prayed that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God. So is it no wonder that God is going to take us from our nice, happy, clappy history into a world that has persecution as well as glory, has suffering and difficulty as well as the greatest things that we have ever seen in all of history. We can't prophesy these things and pray for these things without some extraordinary change coming into our lives. And I believe we are in the turbulent waters between the two eras. Anybody sense the turbulence? It's turbulent. It's choppy. Like the disciples, we're buffeted by the wind and buffeted by the waves, and it's messy and turbulent. But I want to reassure you, God lives in turbulence. He doesn't just live in bright white clouds. He does that too, but he also lives in dark and difficult clouds. And the church right across the world and even the nation is going through a turbulent time right now. I've been in ministry after ministry and church after church. Some who are saying we thought we were ready to come out of COVID and head in a direction. And we had to put everything on pause. Some I've, I've sat with boards and discussed the future. And I've just had one prophetic word. God said he's putting you back on pause. And they said, please tell our staff. Because we just head in a direction. Then had to stop. And then redirect again. Uh, it's going on everywhere. A friend of mine, their church has completely shut public services. And they're meeting just as a church. Why? To reset everything in place. Churches everywhere are in turbulent waters right now. And we're in a time of pause and change too. And not only uh, a couple of months ago were people saying, we're getting burnt out, we're getting weary, people need a month off, but also at a deeper and higher level as well. The plan that we've been in the last seven months, uh, some of the, of the leaders involved have started to go, this isn't unfolding in the way that I wanted or expected. And so right now we're in a pause and we're waiting here while we seek God for, okay, right, how can we move forward in a way that's going to make everybody happy and healthy and moving in the direction that we're called to do? So, listen, we are in turbulent waters of pausing and reassessing and readjusting. But family, God is with us in turbulent waters. Deep breath, everybody. God's with us. He's with you. And there's men and women of God right across the church drawing together right now. We've even got a meeting this afternoon to pray and to discuss, right, how do we shift forward? Because the plan that we're in isn't pleasing everyone in the way that we'd hoped. And so we're looking at, right, how do we adjust for the future? So can we be praying? And we're going to end this morning praying, God, give us wisdom, especially all of our leaders. Give these people around the church that lead us and guide us. God, pour out your grace. Pour out family love, pour out wisdom, and let's get into the future with God. Amen? So family, take a deep breath. Don't give in to swirling rumors. We're going to head into the future with God, but turbulence happens. Don't be worried about 
Choppy waters, it happens. God's with us. And so here are these disciples, and they're out on their little boat, and Jesus isn't there. He's doing what he did quite a lot, disappeared up the mountain to pray. I, I kind of figure he wanted to get away from the disciples quite a lot. Or maybe he just left his mobile phone with them, and he went up and had finally a bit of peace. And, uh, but anyway, they're out there, buffeted by the waves and the wind. And I want to talk to you about three important things in a turbulent season. Are you ready for it? And we're going to take it from this passage. Here's the first one. You're going to find that you actually get to know God more in turbulence than in peace. Come on, Christians that have lived a bit. It is in the fiery furnace that you find the fourth man. And they looked in that hot furnace that they could have thought, can you imagine being pushed towards a boiling furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's where we're going. Shake your bed, make your bed, to bed you go. Um, they're being pushed towards the furnace. It's, it's hotter than it's ever been. And as they enter the fire, these three young men, their skin is not touched. Their hair is not burned. I reckon they walked in there and they probably just, as young Jews, they probably just smelt bacon for the first time and thought, oh, I pray for the new covenant to come. And as they stood in that furnace, the only thing that burned in their trial was the things that restricted them, the ropes, burned off and fell away. And then there in the fire of turbulence was stood, as they said from outside the furnace, one like a son of the gods. In the furnace was Jesus. There was a moment in Paul's life when he said, everybody deserted me, but the Lord came and stood by my side and strengthened me. You are going to go through moments of loneliness when you feel like no one understands you, moments when it all seems to go wrong. There is no moment in your history where you will ultimately not find that actually in your lowest, most turbulent, buffeted season, if you have the eyes to see, and I'm going to tell you how to do that next. If you have the eyes to see, you're going to find that Jesus is closer than ever. And he's teaching you how to trust more than ever. He's showing you what's inside you more than ever. Not to punish you, but to promote you more than ever. That's our God. He's with you. I remember, I don't know, a decade, 15 years ago, I was going through one of my a dark season. Anybody been through a dark season? Even pastors go through dark seasons, you know. And there were months when every day, as I closed my eyes to pray, even though everything on the outside of my world was shaking, I saw the face of Jesus for months, again and again. And I, I remember some time later, because, you know, social media kind of helps these days, there's somebody that's drawn a beautiful picture of the face of what they think is the face of Jesus. And I remember Vicky walking up in the kitchen once going, wow, look at that. And she thrust the phone into my face and I looked at it and I saw the face I'd been looking at for months and I burst into tears and I said, I know that face. That is the face of Jesus. In your darkest, most turbulent days, he's teaching you not to trust man or not to trust the products of man or history or nostalgia or culture or even church. He's teaching us this is about me. I am with you. I am with you, says the Lord. I get you like no one else gets you. I get your foibles. I get that in the middle of your mess, I love you and I wired you and I made you. And if only we could stop and turn and realize 
He's right there. While every one of your senses is distracted by the turbulence, he's just there knocking quietly on the door of your heart going, I'm right here. And in fact, this turbulence is trying to teach you how to turn to me. Because without turbulence, most of us end up lazy. You actually start to pray like you always should when you hit turbulence. So some of us are the best Christians we could ever be. Our prayer lives go right. Our Bible reading goes right when we hit turbulence. Nobody in the room pray for more turbulence, please. Trust me, it will come. It will come. He promises it, right? There's a fourth man in the fire. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let's read that. We're going to read some scriptures today. Always helps when we're preaching in church, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 10. Um, <laughs> wow. 1 Corinthians 10, let's read from verse 12, that'll do. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Listen to this scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. In other words, he's kind of saying, look, get over yourself. Everybody goes through stuff, but here's the way out. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, when you're buffeted, when you're going through it, he will also provide a way out. There's a way out from your buffeting. Wow, there's a thought. There's a way out from the shaking going on around you. And trust me, it's not by engaging more with the shaking going on around you. The way to step out of the buffeting is to somehow do what Jesus did. There was another story where there's a storm on the lake and all the disciples are terrified again. And where was Jesus? Lying with his head on a pillow asleep. He had a door that took him to another realm where he could go rest his head on the lap of the Father while the world shook around him. Imagine it like this. In all your buffeting, if we focus on the buffeting, you're going to lose it. You'll lose your peace. You'll develop anxiety. You'll get offended. You'll end up in some place you don't want to be. Here's what buffeting's supposed to do. In the middle of buffeting, you should be going, where's the door? Now, I don't mean to run away. I mean, there's a door. Well, let's go to, you know, John on the Isle of Patmos. God says, come up here. It's really windy down there, so come up here. Come above the storm. And we step up into the presence of Jesus through worship, through Bible, through encounter with him, sticking on a CD, going for a drive and having a good holler at God. We let our hearts ascend into the heavens. There's always a door. It's up to you if you wallow in the waves of buffeting or if you open the door to the escape hatch of heaven and you go hide in the presence of God. I hide my soul in you, David said. And as you hide there, watching the buffeting and the mess go on around about you, I don't know how it is that some people are struck with cancer and yet in their hearts you see complete peace, complete stillness in the middle of the storm. How is it that they do that? They've found a door. How is it that some men are weak and others are strong in times of buffeting? One has found a door. You don't have to live there. A friend of mine dabbles in cryptocurrency. Trust me, I don't. And when he started to dabble in cryptocurrency, he would panic because it's very volatile. Every time it went up, he'd buy some more. Every time it went down, he'd sell it as quick as he possibly could. And of course, he was just losing money and living in panic. 
And then he, he cottoned on and got to know some traders who do this kind of stuff regularly. And they said, oh, oh, no, you can't live doing that. You are guaranteed to fail if you micromanage the ups and downs of the market. Now, what you've got to do is every time it goes down, you zoom out. What does that mean? You, you, you kind of don't focus on the micro changes in the market. You zoom out and you take the long view. Guys, when you're going through waviness, it can feel like this day or this week or this month is the biggest, worst thing you've ever been in. Listen, zoom out. Open the door. Sit in heaven. Come on, look back, some of you that lived a bit. There are times when I thought it, whatever it is, was all over. But actually, that thing that I thought was buffeting my life beyond what I could bear, it kind of made and built something incredible in me. Zoom out, always. Zoom out. Go, what's God doing? Let's look at this from the balcony of heaven. I once had a dream, and in the dream I was stood on a balcony, and next to me, I didn't see his face this time, next to me was Jesus. And he stood there on this balcony with a leaf in his hand, and he said this to me in the dream, this is your life. And I thought, you know, Michael Parkinson was about to come out with a book, you know. He said, this is your life, showing me this little leaf. And then it's like in the dream, I couldn't control it. The thing zoomed out, and suddenly there was an Amazon forest in front of me, as far as the eye could see. And Jesus said, and this is your eternal life. In other words, stop focusing on the minutia of these 70, 80, 90 years on earth. You are about to live millions of years. And you're going to spend all that time getting to know me, growing in me, stretching, growing. Yeah, you're not going to sit on a, on a cloud and play a harp when you die. There's work to do. You'll still be growing, stretching, learning, developing. Oh, God, don't let me sit on a cloud and play a harp forever. Nothing could be more boring. Please don't tell your kids that. Now, you'll be ruling cities and developing things and changing nations and touching planets. Ooh, with Elon Musk. <laughs> Get on the balcony of heaven. You see, Joseph was chucked in a pit because of jealousy by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused and slandered, ended up in prison, not for two, three years, a long time, 17 years, something like that. And then when his brothers finally came to him and he revealed who he was, I mean, I'd love to tell longer on the story because it's amazing. But when he revealed who he was, they thought, this is it, he's going to kill us. This guy is now the prime minister of Egypt. We're done. Listen to Joseph because he'd found the door to the balcony of heaven. He said, no, no, no. Now, he didn't just say what you did, God turned for good. That's actually low-level understanding of how the world works. Listen to this. This will challenge everything you think about life and how it unfolds. Joseph said this, it wasn't you. It was God that did this. Come on, somebody. Next time someone's throwing you in a pit, can you get onto the balcony with enough understanding of how the world works to stand there and have nothing in your heart against the ones that threw you in a pit, but stand there. It wasn't you. God was setting us all up for something good. He sent me ahead of you to save the whole family. I mean, I would have been like, you know, give them some. String them up, cheeky things. But he said, no, it wasn't you. 
And then years later, Jacob, Israel, the father, he dies. And so the brothers are now, well, maybe he's being nice to us because his dad was around. So they go back to him again, panicking, crying. Is anything going to happen to us? And again, he repeats, he still stood on the balcony of heaven, understanding life from God's perspective. And he says to them again, it wasn't you. I will care for you. It was God. And you can just imagine, you go, really? You really believe that nonsense? Yes, because I have a door. I have a balcony. And I don't live by the small actions of men. I live by the God who is directing the flow. Come on. Faith. Faith. Trust your Father. Amen. Get onto the balcony of heaven. So the first thing is you're going to find Jesus in your moments of turbulence. And here's the second thing. In turbulence, your heart is going to come to the surface. And that's the most useful thing you can ever know. Heart, our hearts are deep. And so we kid ourselves about all sorts, don't we, really? How kind we are, how generous we are, how forgiving we are, how much we love God, church, each other. We, we can do all kinds of things when the going is nice. But the moment turbulence comes, our hearts come to the surface. And... Uh, well, there's a squeeze that goes on, right? But the beauty of it is, God only does it so we can go, oh, that's not nice. I repent. I, I turn back to the grace of God. But here, here's the other thing in a turbulent time. Beautiful verse from Proverbs. Guard your heart. For out of it will flow all the issues of your life. In other words, you will always become the result of your heart. Don't blame your husband, your wife, your pastor, your life group leader. You become what your heart is, and only you can guard it. Guard your heart, for out of it flow all the issues of life. Uh, my great, 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 we don't know how many greats to put onto that sentence, if I'm honest, even though Dad's done all the ancestry. Uh, uncle was Sir Francis Chichester, an explorer, knighted by the Queen, pilot, crashed regularly. He, he kind of flew planes like I lead churches. He crashed all the time. And, um, and, but he was also a sailor, and he was knighted for his solo uh, circumnavigations of the world and stuff like that. And he was sailing across the Atlantic once, and he got 10 days into his journey when he suddenly realized that the biscuit tin next to his compass was magnetic. And he'd been sailing for 10 days, but the course wasn't true. So when he removed it, he realized, ah, oh, okay, now a few Hours of being slightly off course, okay. A day, a few days, well, now I'm 10, 15 miles out. 10 days of non-stop sailing. He was miles and miles from where he should have been. With our hearts, biscuit tins can get lodged that steal true north from us. And we start to go wrong and we end up off course. We end up in worlds of, of shame lodges itself, or blame lodges itself, or offense lodges itself. What was it John Bevere said? It's the bait of Satan. Eat this, then I've got you. It's just a biscuit tin next to your heart, stealing true north from you. Guard your heart in moments of turbulence, because if not, we go off course. Well, do you want to know what true north is? I read it to you. You're not sure. Only 
Only Keith wants it. <laughs> Love is patient. Oh, gosh. Let me put the plumb line against my own heart. Anybody else want it? Come on, this is true north. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not proud. It doesn't boast. It's not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Wow, I don't know about you. Ouch. Keep us soft-hearted in turbulence, amen? That's what we've got to do. <laughs> so, in turbulence, there's a squeeze and our hearts come out. But the reason for it is to simply reveal what needs to be removed. The amount of times I have to look in the mirror and go, okay, Jared, now grow up. Come on. If you never do that, if you go, it's them, you got issues. Look in the mirror and go, okay, so now you know that about where you're at, at 53 years old. When you thought you had it all sorted by 21, I thought I'd be married by 22. I was a prat at 22. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't married at 22. But come on, somebody, at 73 and 83, you still need to look in the mirror and go, okay, so now grow up. Now you've seen that you thought you'd sorted it, now grow up. That is the life that we're in. So here's my third point. In the turbulent waters, you're going to love this. So here's, here's the real Christian life. There's something that you find out, but it's not included in the sinner's prayer. And it's not included in most evangelists' preaching. And it's this, the wonder, the glory of suffering. Sorry, Paula, your eyes went really wide then. <laughs> this again, you know. Embrace, in a turbulent sea, embrace it because God's doing something. If you believe he's the one that controls the sea and the times and the seasons, he's the one that tells us to winter. When Solomon was asking for wisdom, he used a strange phrase. He said, God, I'm only young. I don't know how to go out, when to go out and when to come back in. It's a weird phrase. It's a king's phrase. I don't know when to go out to war and when to come back to rest. I don't know when to go out and fight and take new lands and when to come back and just worship and rest and celebrate. The seasons of life are complex. They're not automatically understood. So you've got to recognize, okay, I'm in a turbulent season. The first thing you do, look for the door. Start to worship. Get God's perspective. The second thing you do, check your heart. God's going to bring stuff to the surface to clean you, not punish you. Third thing, embrace the suffering because suffering always leads to glory. There is no, I mean, I've prophesied about moves of glory for years. It was never going to happen without turbulent waters. Come on, somebody. Right, listen to this in James chapter 1. James 1 and verse 2. Let me read it from the Passion Translation. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy you can. Everybody say with me, you've got to be kidding me. Come on, right? For you know, listen to this, grasp this, when your faith is tested, now that's not tested like pass or fail, pass or fail, yeah, pass or fail. It's test to when, when your faith is proved, 
I want to show you where you've got to so we can hopefully go a couple of steps further. But actually, on some level, you're probably going to end up proud of how far you've got, but also at the same time aware of how much more you've got to go. So he's not trying to make you fail your O-levels. He's, he's showing to you, what, you what's inside you. For you know that when your faith is tested, listen to this, it stirs up power. When trials test your faith, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your... Are you telling me that buffeting and waves and suffering and turbulence is the very thing that leads me to perfection? Yes, but I thought it was Bible study. Well, that'll just give you the route map, but the experience is buffeting and turbulence. <laughs> People are so jolly at me this morning. I'm so happy that I'm here preaching. But it says, as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being. Listen to this. Until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. Bible study is just a roadmap. Me preaching to you, all I can give you is a roadmap. This is not your perfecting. I'm just trying to help you see the road you're on so you can get to the end of it and realize what God's doing. But this is not perfecting you. The worship earlier, the, the, now, the singing in itself won't, the experience of the presence will. I don't know about you, did you just find that beautiful? I'm like, man, Jesus is here. <sighs> that changes you. But I've also found that just locking ourselves in a room and praying in tongues doesn't change us enough. It's iron sharpens iron. It's Keith that sharpens Jared in turbulence. not just in peace. And so, embrace the glory of suffering. When the Eiffel Tower was first touted as a plan to build it, all of Paris hated it. It's going to ruin the Paris skyline. You'll not see any of the important historic buildings because of that blooming, awful iron structure that gross, disgusting, industrial Eiffel Tower. And all of Paris was revolting and rejecting, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to spoil everything. Anybody, anybody feel the buffeting? It's going to spoil everything. The turbulence is going to ruin everything. But here's the thing, and <laughs> it's kind of how we are as humans. We want the road of least resistance, don't we? I don't know about you. Give me comfort any day. I, w I want my, my destiny to be outworked on a Greek beach. Anyone else? Greek beach? Greek missions, anybody? But here's, here's the thing. Here's what happens looking back. Looking forward, humans are no good. It'll ruin the skyline. The power of nostalgia is so strong, we just want to resist change at every opportunity. But then the Eiffel Tower was constructed, and what was once going to ruin the view became the view. That's a Louis Giglio line. I can't claim that for myself. But here's the thing, there are things that you think it's ruining the view. Listen, trust God. He's creating the next view. And now if you're in Paris, you're like, just hang on, I want, can you move a bit that way? Because your head just, Eiffel Tower's just coming straight out. The back. Just move that way, I just want to get the Eiffel Tower. And you're lovely, yes, my dear, you're lovely. But just, that's it, bit more, bit more. <laughs> what we think is going to ruin the view becomes the view. The cross of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah had finally arrived. 
And there his disciples saw him strung up on a cross, whipped and bloodied, his flesh hanging out, naked, bleeding, dying on a cross, the savior of the world. And of course, every one of us in our religiously, religious way would go, well, no, that's not what it's about. It, it's about happy singing and feast meals and nice temples and chats to God and chants to God and tithing. You know, we've got our religious system. This cannot be what it's about. As the savior of the world hung dying like a bloodied mess on the cross. And the thing that they all thought was ruining the view. Come on, everybody. Who's got a cross around their neck today? It became the view. Christianity isn't a nice little prayer. And I, I add Jesus as a nice little addition to my plans with my education, then my career and marriage and home and pop me clogs and happy. No, it's an invitation to turbulence that will turn you into Christ. It's an invitation to suffering. It's an invitation to destroy ego inside of you. God will humble you until he can use you. And you'll realize at some point there's a turnaround in our lives when we thought, I thought the worst thing that could happen is X, Y, Z. And then you realize that thing that I thought was going to ruin the view became the view. It was not the Bible study. That just gave me the roadmap. It was the turbulence and what I did in the midst of it and the doors I found in the midst of it. And what happened in my heart in the midst of it, that was him forming me into the likeness of Christ. And so as Paul says in Philippians, we share in his sufferings. And it's the only way to share in his resurrection is to embrace turbulence and to come out humbler, cleaner, kinder, purer, less judgmental, more in love with God and people. Embrace the sufferings and the turbulence. Why? Well, it isn't a great, lovely, wide highway to the future. It's a narrow gate. Just come on, you can do it. Once I've squeezed, once you've lost enough weight to squeeze through this gate, I'm in trouble now. Don't we need to declutter? Come on, it's been a big word for many people. God's decluttered my life. I'm just carrying so much baggage around. You can't carry all of your past into your future. And so in turbulent waters, I, I love the picture. I'll end with this. I need to end. Oh, in fact, could you play some nice? If you pay minor keys, I might just cry. So if you want that, play minor. If you want me happy, play major. I don't mind, Tim. Thanks, mate. I pre you guys have been awesome. Thank you. Really lovely. Thank you. We love that you've come up. Jesus. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, Acts 27, you got Paul in a shipwreck. <laughs> and again, they're out at sea, hoping to steer as sophisticated sailors would, but the storm's too strong and they're being carried along and buffeted and it's going wild and crazy. And you know what they do? They just... <laughs> They just keep emptying the boat and emptying the boat to survive. It's amazing how your priorities change in turbulence. What really matters? Who am I really? 
Who are we, really? Where are we to go, really? When turbulence hits, everything hits a new priority. Pray God give our leaders wisdom as we move forward. Amen? Come on, pray. He's a good, good father, and he'll lead us through as we embrace moments of turbulence, as we open our hearts to his presence and his kindness. God will lead us through. So as we, as we close, can we, can we have 10 minutes of praying for revive? I actually feel to kneel. Does anybody want to join me? Now, if kneeling is really uncomfortable for you, just kneel in your heart or what do we always used to say? Bow your head in prayer. But I, I actually want to put this church before God and say, God, it's your church. We just pray waves of grace and wisdom over this church. Who's joining me? Come on, who's joining me? In the turbulence, if it makes you uncomfortable, nobody's going to judge you for still sitting, okay? Because I realize we've all got different knees. <laughs> Come on, let's give God this church. Let's give him our future. Let's give him the turbulence. Give him change. Give him our hearts. Jesus. Jesus. God, we call on waves of grace to flood the church. We know that so many individuals are going through their own buffeting and turbulence, nothing to do with church or changes. Father God, we pray a special grace on all those in a, a dark season, a dark night of the soul. But we raise our faith that in that place there's a door where we can go and stand on the balcony of heaven with Jesus. And we may not understand, but we will get perspective. We may not have knowledge, but we can have faith and worship. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. We give you our lives. We give you our hearts. We give you our church. We give you our future. Some of us have been wrestling at some stuff for a decade, Lord. And hope deferred makes the heart a bit sick for some in the room. God, we need you. I believe it's restoration time for the hearts of many in Revive. I believe God is breathing afresh. Breathing afresh. So God, we give you our lives. Then can we do one more thing and maybe we'll sing a worship song for this one if, if Ellie would help us. Can we then, come on, find the door and come and stand with me and let's worship God. He's the God of our victories. He's the God of our family. He's the God of our relationships. He's the God of our future. Can we stand in the presence of God and worship him as we close this service? As the King of Kings, the King of our future, we worship you. Just start, raise your hands and just begin to sing and pray in tongues or in English or your own language. And then at some moment, uh, Elia leaders in a song.